Welcome to Montrose Podcast, the official podcast of Montrose School here in Medfield, Massachusetts, where girls are called to greatness. I'm your host, Mary Cahill Farella, and I'm very happy that you can join us. Maybe you're an avid supporter of Montrose, a current parent or a friend of the school, or maybe you're new to Montrose, an independent school for girls in grades 6 through 12, inspired by the teachings of the Catholic Church. Here, young women achieve academic excellence in a rich liberal arts environment by developing enduring habits of mind, heart, and character. Thanks for joining us as we explore topics that highlight the impact of a Montrose education and how it affects the world around us. Have you ever heard of a great academic course and then said, I wish I had taken that years ago? Recently, I got to hear a talk that made me feel just this way by Montrose teacher and Life Compass Associate Director, Deborah Farmer Chris. It's called Habits of Mind, based on a class that Deborah teaches to the sixth and seventh graders here at Montrose. It was so packed with helpful learnings and tips that I knew we had to share it here on Montrose Podcast. I think you'll really enjoy hearing Deborah shed light on how habits of mind are at work in our daily lives, whether we know it or not, and how we can use these habits to take charge of our lives and our time. Deborah Farmer Chris, welcome to Montrose Podcast. A pleasure to be here. I'm so excited about this. Uh, I was lucky enough to attend one of your talks recently, and just my first thought was we have to share this with everyone. But before we do that, tell us about your role here at Montrose, what you're doing, how it's going, and um, then we can get into habits of mind. I joined the staff in 2017 after moving back here, after several years away and doing other adventures. I had worked with Karen Boland at the Center for um, Ethics and Character at Boston University for several years, um, a long time ago, and we had maintained um, a close collegial uh, friendship and uh, partnership. And she was interested in starting the Life Compass Institute for Character and Leadership, which has been my professional passion for 20 years. So here, uh, I engage in parent education, uh, help launch a blog, work on faculty coaching and professional development, and I teach for all the middle schoolers a class called Habits of Mind, which is designed to help them understand how they learn and develop those strong habits to enable them to take ownership of their learning as they move into high school, college, and beyond. Fabulous. Well, this is one of the things that makes my husband and myself very jealous of a Montrose education, and we feel fortunate that at least we're getting it vicariously. (laughs) But I always think, wow, if as middle schoolers, we had this leg up on how our brain is actually functioning and working and helping us and sometimes hindering us, Mm -hmm. what a help it would have been. And that's why I feel like we can all benefit from habits of mind. Um, One of the things you mentioned in your talk is that diffuse mode is where creativity happens for us. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, uh, Barbara Oakley, who wrote uh, Learning How to Learn and runs this, she's a professor of of, uh, engineering, actually, after... uh, I interviewed her for an NPR article about a year ago, and uh, she runs with a neuroscientist the world's largest online course on learning how to learn for adults, and she was just coming out with a brand new book for middle school students, uh, which is the textbook we use, which I supplement with other things in class, 
And so she's the one who introduced this idea to me of diffuse thinking because I, I know about focus mode. That's what we constantly talk to kids about. You've got to pay attention. You have to focus. That's part of your executive functioning skills is focus. That means to tune out distractions, to pay attention. But as she points out, that's great for, for jump-starting learning, for, let's say, really memorizing. But diffuse mode, and that's when your mind is wandering and it's not focusing on anything in particular that's when your brain makes creative connections. Because when you're in pure focused mode, you're tuning out everything else. It's just kind of like, imagine being in a tunnel and you're just on tunnel hyper-focus. But diffuse mode, let's say you're taking a shower, going on a walk, sleeping, daydreaming. These are when these aha moments come. Mm. Like, oh wow, yeah, this relates to that. It actually allows the different parts of your brain to speak to one another. And so one of the techniques that um, she recommends, which is a very popular technique all over the world in learning is the Pomodoro method, which basically to train your brain to both pay attention and to have these moments of creative insight to spend 25 minutes working in focus mode and then take a five minute break and just wander and take a drink of water and allow your brain to kind of process what you've been studying. Because we have a cognitive load. There's only so much we can pack into our brain. We've all hit that wall. And then we're like, you know, we're done for the day, you know, and then our focus is scattered. Um, and one of the reasons I, I'm passionate about teaching this to kids is I think in our, in our modern world with all the dings and buzzes and devices that we're often not fully in focus mode or in diffuse mode. We almost don't allow for either. For either, <laughs> right, because our focus is distracted. And then, you know, when we're checking Twitter or Facebook or, you know, we're not in diffuse. We're still focused on something. So, you know, that moment of where it's just quiet and stillness, allowing our brain to be at rest or just to think and reflect, that's not a zone, even as adults, we give ourselves much time to be in. And so I, I think that, you know, when a lot of neuroscientists talk about the crisis of attention that we're facing, part of it is that, is that we're not training our brain to focus, and we're also not providing true opportunities for our brain to be to be open and relaxed, um, that we, we tend to try to multitask, which, as I pointed out in my conversation, is a myth. Our brains don't multitask. Our brains toggle back and forth. Um, that if there's something that's truly an automatic process, like walking, I can walk and talk at the same time. But a little baby who's learning how to walk, if you distract them, they're going to stop and they're going to fall because that's not automatic yet. So, you know, we can't be focused fully on talking to our child and reading our email. Our brain doesn't work that way. We just go bing, 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 and then our brain gets really tired and we're not as efficient at anything. And I, I wonder as we watch our kids do their homework, how often it's taking longer simply because their brain is pinging back and forth and back and forth until it's, it's tired and it can't fully be concentrating nor in reflective mode. Well, that's one of the things I love hearing my middle schooler say now. Celia, she'll come home and say, you know, I, my goal is to finish my math homework and then for diffusion time, I'm going to do this. Oh, that's great. It's like building it in as an understood need of your yeah. brain is such a different thing than just saying, like you said, you know, we're just going to go on one speed mm-hmm. and keep trying and, and wear ourselves out. Right. So it's like almost giving yourself a reward yeah. that you can look forward to. Absolutely. And it helps that focus time not be as, you know, as dreadful as sometimes the anxiety yes. can come up. It's like, I only have to do this for 25. I can do anything for 25 minutes so I'm nervous about starting this 
you know, English paper, I just need to, I don't need to finish it. I just got to do it for 25 minutes. Um, and, you know, one of the things we talk about as well is procrastination yeah. is that, you know, often we procrastinate because we don't want to do something. And then we almost get this physical anxiety response. And, you know, it, we can feel it. We can feel it in our tummy. We can feel like our chest constrict. You know, we don't want to call the insurance company as adults <laughs> to talk through things. So we put it off because our brain says, you know, you know, watching a cat video, that's not going to hurt me. <laughs> like, that's soothing. And your brain, but then you're, you know, you're the focus part of your brain is like, no, you need to do that. And it's, it feels yucky. Like procrastination feels kind of anxiety. Like you're at war with yourself. It is. It's kind of your like emotional system versus your rational system. And then, so that's why there's something like a Pomodoro helps because you say, I'm just going to tackle this for 25 minutes. And then once you get started, inevitably, you know, that kind of, that high alert system begins to calm down. And then it's like, oh, yeah, this isn't as hard as I thought it was. I, you just got to get started with it. And I know after 25 minutes, I get to go do a dance party or get a snack or, you know, pet my dog. And then I can jump back into it. At that point, I've already done a chunk of it. So it's a little bit easier to do the next piece. Well, that's what I love about this is it kind of marries the classic learning we have. We yeah. know about ourselves that starting is the hardest part of any project. Uh, absolutely. We all know that. Yeah. But that knowledge doesn't get us there. Yeah. And something like the Pomodoro effect, I downloaded the um, one of the apps yeah. we discussed, Focus Keeper, that just helps turn off everything else on your mm-hmm. phone for the 20 minutes of focus time and builds in that expectation that you're going to diffuse for yeah. at least five minutes. And I was amazed that the project I was procrastinating on was my Christmas card list <laughs> because it's something I take joy in and I right. want to do. And yet I knew I had to revise the list mm-hmm. and it was going to be this big thing and then I... I thought I needed three hours and I didn't want to start it if I couldn't finish it. And I had backed myself into a corner of guess what, not doing the Christmas card list at all. So I used the timer, I went through it and I found that I was almost done within that 20 minute, 25 minute time frame. And I said to myself, based on what I had done, I really only had five more minutes of work to do. Wasn't that amazing? And that's the feedback I get from a lot of students who actually try it. So I had them do a reflection on, have you tried it yet? Haven't you after it? Obviously, you teach something in class, and some will go home and experiment. But about 50% the following week had tried it. And universally, what they said is, I got my work done so much faster. Because all of us, I think, um, we, we don't always have a good concept of time. We think something is going to take 45 minutes, and but if we actually focus on it, you know, it might only take 20, or we think that we can push it to the edge and get to this, you know, our grandma's house on time and it, we hit traffic, it takes longer. We, we classically don't always have a great concept of time. And that's part of the anxiety is like, I know this project's gonna take me a really long time. And so I had several students say, like, I actually used the Pomodoro and I couldn't believe I was done with my homework in an hour and I went to bed at nine o'clock and I got some sleep and I feel great. And I had students who, you know, I think are typically you'd look at them and say they're, they're organized girls, you know, but even they were noticing that they were so much more efficient when they used the system. Again, because I think this is a generation that is used to kind of living in distraction and part of this training of how do I train my brain to turn off all notifications, find a quiet place, and spend that 25 minutes. Wow, what can I actually do when I'm not in a distraction zone? Right, right. And when I've given myself that permission mm -hmm. that I didn't even realize I needed because we take, I think these days with our digital age, 
we take it for granted that our brain is doing 20 things in the background. Yeah. And we kind of think of that as nothing. Right. Checking our email, checking our Twitter. Check, we, we kind of think of that as, that's not doing anything. Yeah. But it is eating up our energy and our it brain is. time. Right, and our working memory only has four to seven slots at any given moment. So if you're occupying a couple and if you check that email and it's somebody saying you need to take care of something and suddenly that anxiety pops up, right, of, oh, I forgot that, and suddenly you try to go back to your work and you're not as efficient with it. So it's, you know, it is that, you know, rather than being a slave to time, which we often feel like there's not enough time in the day to say, I'm going to take control of this and, you know, I'm going to allot this time and I'm going to, to do as much as I can. And at some point, because this is important too to the girls, is, you know, I'm not going to stay up till midnight to get my work done because I'm not going to be as good a student the next day. I'm not going to have the response time the next day. I'm not going to be as focused the next day if I'm not getting sleep because that's just as important as studying if not more, to our mental functioning. Um, and so being able to say, I've got, I, need to, I need to be in the captain's seat of my time in the evenings as much as possible. And, you know, some days will be easier than others. That's life. But, you know, I, I think to get out of the, the victim mode about me and time, which I think as adults we often even model of like, I don't have time for that, I don't have time for that. And, and the truth is, if it's something you really, really want to do, like, you know, that Patriots game is on, most of us found time to watch yesterday, <laughs> you know, um, not to, to time date to this podcast, um, you know, that game, if it was really important to you, you know, right. we found that time. And so this is where something like the Pomodoro Technique, focus, diffuse, all of that is to say, um, you know, we live busy lives, but we can use our time a little more sensibly and prioritize it according to things that matter to us. Hmm. Tell me a little bit more about building the memory chains that you talked about in our short-term and sure. then our long-term memory. Yeah, so uh, we talk about short-term and long-term, but the, the phrase that I think is more helpful is to talk about working memory and long-term. Um, long-term memory is all over the brain, and, and those are things that we experience and that we develop kind of a strong neural chain eventually, you know? So it may be something we, we really care about, uh, we remember pictures, stories, and things that we do repetitively. If we've encountered something multiple times, we develop this kind of brain chain. Our working memory is where we're, we're taking in new information coming to us, and then we're also pulling things out of our long-term memory, and we're putting it there to use it while we need it. Like, you know, you go to a wedding, and the YMCA song comes off, and suddenly, like, your long-term memory remembers how to do YMCA, the dance, and then it goes back, and you don't need that information for a while. Um, and so that working memory is where you're putting it all together in the moment. So a teacher gives you a set of instructions and you are holding the instructions plus you're pulling out the quadratic equation that you need to, in order to solve this problem and you're manipulating that information. And again, if you're distracted by you know, nervousness about the game after school and a social situation from before, you don't have as many slots of working memory to manipulate. So I, I tell the girls that basically expertise is about developing really strong neural pathways, really strong brain chains. Because when you have a strong brain chain, then you can pull the whole chain into your working memory. So, so when you're first learning something, it's kind of like your working memory's juggling all of this. But then once you really know procedurally, like I really, um, you know, I know how to, to do the steps of the scientific process. Then you can count on a new experiment and you know what steps to go through so you can focus more on the new content. But if you're just learning the steps, that's the learning. You can't really be learning the science, you're learning the steps. And that's where sometimes students want to give up is when they're first learning something because they don't have a brain chain yet. 
And so they encounter something, it doesn't come easily, and they say, I'm not good at this, I can't do this, and you want to give up. And again, that first learning, especially if it's something you're not excited about, you know, if you're really excited, it's like, I'm going to plug through, I'm going to push through because I know after I do this a few times, I'll know how to do it. But if you're feeling anxious about it, you're like, I, I tried, I didn't get it, I'm giving up. But the truth is, if you stick with it, your brain is starting to form those neural pathways. Like literally, you're creating, you know, neurons connecting to one another that, you know, and the more you do it, the wider that neural pathway gets. And if you do something like parallel parking, the first several times, you have eight steps in your head. But after a while, it's like muscle memory. Your brain just has that chain and you have to park and you know you're going to a 45 degree angle and switching and you know the directions you're moving. It almost sounds like you're transferring the knowledge from one side of your brain to the other. Like to learn something, you need your thinking brain so much. Yeah. And then once you've learned it, it's almost you're doing it by feel, which is... It becomes an automatic process. I mean, there's some things and that's what expertise is. I mean, expertise is when you have so... When so many of the the background steps are just... um, you know, they're just automatic. So you sit down to play the piano, and if you're an expert, you know the chord structure so well, you can talk to somebody when these jazz pianists, they can talk to you and continue to do this, and then they can do flourishes, and they can play around with it, because the basics are so solid. And it's getting those basics down that requires a lot of that kind of focus mode. Um, and but you know that's that's the real effort at the beginning and then you can start you know i liken it sometimes to doing origami it's like the first time is like i'm just trying to get the fold right but then you learn eight to ten basic folds and you can play with those to make hundreds of different items because you have those in your neural pathway you have these neural pathways that say origami patterns you know and i'm going to be pulling that one in and say ah i'm going to do this base and i'm going to modify it to make a bird versus a flower um and it's kind of cool to think about because this is where growth mindset comes in is this idea that your brain is it's very it's, there's neuroplasticity it's plastic and so everything we do to our brain every studying is changing the architecture of our brain you know even while we sleep our brain is cleaning out some things and adding to other things but every time we rehearse we memorize we practice we are um, we have a conversation we are adding to our brain chains and so it may be like you have a file um, you know on you, you know you're studying birds and you have your, your basic information and every time you learn something new it's almost like adding to the filing cabinet you are just adding links to that chain until you know so much you're an expert in that area because you've learned it enough um, and that's where it gets exciting but nobody starts as an expert and that's the myth that some students have is like this idea of like you're you're born good at math you're born blank you're but everybody, you know, I tell them, this is an apocryphal story, I'm sure, but it's one that stuck with me from the time as a child of a concert pianist. And, um, you know, after the, the concert, someone goes up and says to the pianist, I'd give half my life to be able to play as well as you. And the pianist responds, that's exactly what I've given. I've given half my life when you count up the hours of practicing. And, you know, that's, that's what it takes sometimes to develop that expertise is, Absolutely. is, is yeah. that time, is that effort. Um, and that's where perseverance comes in. That's where attention, thoroughness, and those habits of mind come in. But first you have to believe that this is possible, that the brain can change, and that even if it doesn't come naturally initially, you know, um, and Barbara Oakley tells her story in the book that she flunked out every math and science class in high school, and she's a professor of engineering now. <laughs> because, you know, and she just assumed I'm bad at math. 
and she realized she just didn't know how to study for it. And she, you know, and so she didn't persevere. She's, she just assumed, I'm going to be a language person because that comes easily. And she shut off all these possibilities, you know, that if we only gravitate toward what comes easily, we really narrow our options. Truly. Um, I mean, if we don't persevere and we don't have some courage along the way, oh, I yeah. liken it to, so I love to oil paint. And in my oil painting class, there's nothing as terrifying as walking up to that blank canvas yeah, right. and saying, whoa, what are we going to do here? And sometimes something will come so so quickly you almost think I'm not worthy that you know mm-hmm. that I've participated in this because here's a painting that came along in an hour and a half right. and it's one of my favorite things mm-hmm. to say other times you're struggling you're fighting with the painting you're getting all sorts of critiques and feedbacks and you just can't get it to sing right but regardless at the end of when you've deemed this is done it's mm-hmm. what it can be it's finished one of the things I love that my teacher says is when somebody asks you how long did that painting take you say, it took my whole life up right. until right now. Absolutely. Because it took all those choices to mm-hmm. persevere, to have courage, to use your talent, but also to break through Absolutely. where you were fighting up, you know, coming up against walls. Right. Um, one of the things I really love that you were mentioning basics before. Mm-hmm. And what I love is that in your course, you're not just talking academics and how to get your homework done quicker, which yeah. is a great life skill. But you're backing it up to, let's talk about sleep. Right. Let's talk about exercise. Right. So what do you tell the girls about those basics that we can all learn from? So I say this to my seven-year-old daughter a lot. If I notice that she's um, feeling cranky, <laughs> that have you had a snack? Are you tired? Um, have you moved today? Like those three things are really basic for you know our our emotional health and our mental hygiene so you know sleep for example you know sleep ends up being one of the best things we can do for our cognitive development and this is why you know young kids need a lot of it um, and as we get older we may need a little less but not dramatically less um, so you know while you sleep your brain is still when you're in you have to kind of to to oversimplify you kind of you have your deep sleep Whereas one of the few times your brain is really in relaxation mode and you're actually flushing some of the toxins out of your brain, but then you also really need your REM sleep, which is your dream state. And when you're in dream state, your brain is still processing the day. It's consolidating your memories. It's kind of moving them into long-term storage in the right places. Um, you'll actually see on brain scans that it actually, it, um, it sweeps away some of the the information you don't need, some of the dendritic spines begin to get smaller. So, you know, you may wake up the next morning and not necessarily remember what you had for breakfast the day before because you don't need to remember everything. Uh, but they've done some wonderful studies, such as there was one out of Harvard, and they had a bunch of undergrads uh, take on this really hard digital maze. And before anybody completed it, they asked them to go take a nap. And then they woke them up, you know, and when you wake somebody up in the middle of a nap, you often remember your dreams. And those who reported having dreamt about the maze were four times more likely to have completed it successfully. Their brains were continuing to process. So you are learning while you sleep. That's a really exciting idea. Your processing time is faster. Your response time is faster. So if you're up till midnight studying, you may have that information in there somewhere. But to be able to pull it from long-term to working memory that takes longer. So in a timed test situation, even if you know it, you'll have that experience of like, oh yeah, it's on the tip of my tongue. But you can't quite pull it out because you're sleep 
sleep deprived. And so that's why studying and then taking a nap or spacing it or studying over a few days and getting the sleep, that's going to make it stick better than trying to stay up late cramming. And then again, it may be there and you'll just have that frustration of it's not coming out. I'm not able to pull it out or synthesize the information the way I need to, to be write a coherent essay on this topic. Mm. So that's why I, I really say, you know, sometimes we, we kind of brag about how little sleep we need. And I think as parents, we can really model to say, it's not like, you know, you have to go to sleep. You get to go to sleep. How exciting. Like, <laughs> we get to go to sleep. You know, this is, this is a great place to go. Um, and, and that means that, you know, part of training yourself to do that is, you know, the blue light of screens can really disrupt our brain's um, natural receptors and melatonin to say, hey, guess what? It's actually nighttime now. We need to start winding down. So putting screens on night mode at night, shutting them off 30 minutes before bed, making sure they're in the bedroom, having a consistent bedtime routine where I'm going to dim the lights, I'm going to read a chapter from my book. All of that trains the brain to get into deep sleep faster. Mm-hmm. So it's, not, it's both about the quantity of sleep and the quality. And the quality is helped by exercise in the day. It's helped by you know, um, kind of having some time to relax and reflect so that you're not staying awake with your anxieties and wake up in the middle of the night, which will happen sometimes. You don't beat yourself up about it. But part of part of growing up well is to say, I'm going to take care of these other parts of me that will allow me to perform my best. You know, um, with exercise, I talked to them about the research of Wendy Suzuki, who's a neuroscientist at Columbia University, who has found that, you know, exercise is one of the best, best things we can do for cognitive development because the neurons that we are creating while we exercise, um, exercise creates this uh, chemical called uh, BDNF, which is basically a, um, like a, a neuron fertilizer. So the, the uh, neurons we develop are stronger and less brittle. And so neurodegenerative diseases are, you know, when your neural chains are breaking apart. So for people over 50, regular exercise seems to delay the onset of some of the dementia. May not avoid it completely, but it seems to delay that onset. And for kids, one 20-minute exercise session, which boosts oxygen to the brain, uh, shows that, you know, increased focus and alertness for two hours after. So, you know, having that dance party, taking that walk around the block, and of course it also produces endorphins and those hormones that, you know, calm us down. And those are things, again, that get in the way of focus. So if we're really anxious about something before we go and start doing homework, our time's less productive. So going on that quick jog around the block, having that dance party at home, hopping on the treadmill, it's gonna calm our systems down, it's gonna make us more alert, and again, that's time well spent because those 20 minutes may translate into shaving time off because of we're not focused, we're feeling upset, and suddenly this may center us in a way that we can take control the rest of our day. So Mm. again, that's just that empowerment to say, you know, rather than life being done to me, like I have to do this, I have to do this, my mom said this, my teacher said this, if I make these healthy choices and these healthy choices, I feel better, I'm thinking better, I'm learning better. Um, and I can make those choices myself. You know, I can choose to, to get up and move a little bit. Um, I can choose to have a healthy snack because if I'm, you know, if, if I'm really hungry, also hard to focus, you know? And it's... the more we're learning about this computer we're born with, yeah. our brain, it helps us really be compassionate with ourselves. Oh, yeah. We're literally understanding you know, we have this brain, it's working all this time. We have this body that's giving us constant feedback uh, if yes. we'll listen to it. 
And when we do, I feel like sometimes, you know, we're so quick to judge ourselves in a mm-hmm. way that we wouldn't judge a friend. Right. That if a friend came to us and said, I was up, you know, tossing and turning last night, really kind of my brain couldn't relax. Mm-hmm. We would say, well, gosh, that I'm so sorry for you. That's going to make today hard. You should expect that today you're just right. not going to be at your best. Yeah. To ourselves, we sometimes aren't as quick to offer that understanding and mm-hmm. that compassion. And you know what? You'll feel better tomorrow. Right. You'll get a better night's sleep. You'll do better tomorrow. Yeah. Um, tell us about habits and how we were talking a little bit about how to break habits mm. during your talk mm-hmm. the other day. And the concept that fascinated me was, you know, we can't just say to our brain, I'm going to break this habit. Right. That's not we, what a habit is. <laughs> that's not what a habit is. It's not actually working with right. the concept of a habit. But you brought up the idea of replacing mm-hmm. a habit and that that could be a key to success. Yeah. So the story I tell about this uh, is that I love Ghirardelli chocolate chips. Um, and I'm sure there's an emotional component to this because my dad always had them growing up. And so and I, there's usually a packet of milk chocolate. And they're big. They're low-resized. They're sort of my mom's <laughs> stash hidden there. And so, um, you know, for a lot of years, it was my habit to, you know, have dinner and then just reach in and grab a little handful after dinner treat. Not a big deal. I'm, I'm a believer in treating it yourself. But there was, a, there was a, a time a few years ago where I decided just for myself for 90 days, I, I wanted to, to go off sugar just, you know, for myself and my health. And I did really well most of the day. But after dinner, I'd find myself reaching in to grab it, sometimes so automatically I wouldn't even realize it for 30 minutes later. And I got really discouraged. In case you're not really treating yourself, right? Yeah, exactly. It's It's just automatic. automatic. And I got really discouraged. I was talking to a friend about this because, you know, then you start to beat yourself up and say, I don't have willpower, which is what happens with New Year's resolutions. You say, I'm going to do this. And then your body, which craves habits, because again, as much as can be automatic process, frees up your brain for other things. So it's like... If, if you know how to drive to, to work and do your job and it's automatic, then these routines and habits free your brain up for other things. So um, habits can be our friends, but this one wasn't, and I was getting really frustrated. And she said, try freezing some grapes. Freezing some grapes. And as I realized that, you know, it ended up activating the same neural pathway. It was still walking toward the cabinets and refrigerator, so same basic area. It was still reaching into a baggie to grab something small, so it didn't require the microwave or dishes. It was something satisfying, it could be popped into my mouth, it was sweet. So in other words, it was the same neural pathway, but I diverted it slightly. So rather than trying to break the habit cold turkey, which rarely works, I mean, talk to people who are, you know, dealing with addictions, it was how do we modify this slightly so I'm moving toward what I'm aiming for. Um, and so it's something where I might think about, I want to be more active in the day. I'm not gonna start running a 10K tomorrow, but you know, I drop my son off at a preschool not far from here, and you know, then I come to work. So rather than drive him to the front door and then drive to work, I could park midway in between, walk him in, and then walk, and that adds 15 minutes at the beginning and end of the day, that's 30 minutes walking, but it's part of my daily routine anyway. I have to drop my son off and I have to come to work. So I'm using the same neural pathway, but I'm making a small change that is in line with who I want to be. And so that's where it's like, okay, so let's say that, you know, you really, I I talked to the girls um, 
about my juniors recently, I work with the juniors um, as well, about what I call better than nothing goals. And there is you, you choose something you, you, that matters to you. Let's say you really do want to you know, improve your health or maybe you really want to do more writing for yourself. You want to be a writer and you're on the journalism staff but you don't find much time. Better than nothing goals mean it's not all or nothing. Like if you don't make the run that day, you don't beat yourself up. You can say, I'm going to take you know, one walk around the block because that's better than nothing, mm-hmm. but I'm building the habit. Or maybe I didn't write the article today, but I read two other articles that are going to help me think about mine, and that's better than nothing. Um, and you know, maybe I you know, really want to do more reading for myself, and two chapters before bed, two pages before bed, that's better than nothing. You know, I want my to have healthier meals with my family. Um, it might be leftover mac and cheese, but I'm gonna add some carrots and oranges, and that's better than nothing. And what it's idea. doing is it's saying like, I'm going to these habits matter enough to me that I'm gonna take the little steps, and I'm gonna give myself permission for it not always to be perfect, because that's when we sabotage ourselves. We just throw, say this is tough. I'm gonna throw it all out. But when you say it's better than nothing, and this, I got this phrasing from a time management expert named Laura Vanderkam, um, and who's a busy mom of four. And that's how she said, you know, you got to focus on what do you really care about? Like, what, what are your priorities? And then you, you schedule in time for them and you give yourself permission to say, you know, sometimes it'll be a little, sometimes it'll be a lot, but it's better than nothing. And that allows you to take those small steps that lead toward the habits eventually. Oh, I love that as a theme for the new year. Oh, yeah. That's, better than nothing. That's, that's so completely much better my theme than new for the year's year. resolutions. Yeah, that's, that's my favorite saying, you know, if I, what really matters to me, like I've identified three or four things that really matter, and I'm going to schedule some time and I give myself permission to do small steps, mm. you know? And, and uh, I know what perfection will look like, but that's not what I'm aiming for. I'm aiming for the process. I'm aiming for what is the process that will get me closer um, because if you're always just aiming on what the product's going to be, it's the process that trains the brain, you know? And then we get angry that we don't jump from A to B really quickly, when in fact we actually have to build those neural pathways. We have to build those habits. We have to build those routines. And that takes time, you know? Yeah. So. Well, thank you for sharing this with our middle schoolers and for sharing it with the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's easy to see the power of a Montrose education, even through the lens of just one course, like Habits of Mind with our guest, Deborah Farmer Chris. Montrose empowers young women by educating them in habits of mind, heart, and character, and by calling them to greatness. I'm your host, Mary Cahill-Farella. Thanks for listening. You can also visit MontroseSchool.org for helpful links related to this episode. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Montrose Podcast. Please subscribe so that you'll be the first to know about future episodes and share the podcast with your friends and family. Donations to Montrose Podcasts go directly to tuition assistance, a critical part of our mission to keep Montrose education accessible. Your gift plants the seeds of lifelong Montrose friendships and ensures that each Montrose graduate takes with her a life compass to navigate the challenges beyond Montrose and seize opportunities to shape our changing world. Thank you.